Well, good morning, and happy Father's Day to uh, you men who are fathers. We praise the Lord for you. We have taken a moment to celebrate that already this morning. Take your Bibles, if you will, and turn to the book of Philippians, and uh, we're going to complete. This is something a little bit odd for me. Uh, Usually I have a Mother's Day and a Father's Day message, and this year I'm doing something a little bit different because I was in Alaska during Mother's Day, and so uh, I couldn't be here with you. So we're kind of combining a little bit and we're concluding the study in Philippians. So one of the great things about having uh, Sarah on staff here is she can change our backgrounds at a moment's notice. And so Philippians had been a sunflower over the last month or so. I thought, you know what, that's probably not appropriate for us men. And so I changed it, or I had her change it actually. Sarah does a great job for us in doing all of our graphic design and website stuff, and we praise the Lord for her, and uh, she changed this. I I came to her, I believe it was Wednesday, late Wednesday, maybe Thursday morning, and I said, uh, you know, I'd like a different background (laughs) uh, on Sunday, and so she had it out for us. We praise the Lord for that, but we are thankful uh, for fathers. This morning, I did a quick uh, overlook of the news agencies around all the Uh, internet news, and the first place that I go typically is Wall Street Journal, and so I went on the Wall Street Journal's site, and there was two articles, two articles, that was it, related to Father's Day, and one was the difficulties of estranged fathers in a complicated and complex cultural world. Wow, what what a theme for Father's Day. So I went on to another site, and there there was one article on Father's Day, and it was purely political. And it was how the family ties of the Biden family will start to get him into trouble. That was their article for Father's Day. Then I went on to another site, and I found no articles on Father's Day. Beloved, we are living in a time where men and women of faith are being attacked. We understand that. But we're also living in a time where God's design for family has been attacked. And that has been removed and disturbed. But this morning we have an opportunity to finish the letter of Philippians. And Paul is signing off. These are the last three verses. These are the verses you typically see tacked on to the end of a sermon to make the last point because the week uh, that we were studying up to that point was just focused on just a quick uh, greet so-and-so, goodbye kind of thing. But we're going to slow down and we're going to focus on the great truths of Paul's farewell as he deals with ordinary saints. And I put forth to you this morning this. That men and women who follow God's design, who know Christ as Savior, are typically ordinary saints. And why is our story different from that of the world's? The grace of God. And that is Paul's focus as we conclude the study of Philippians. He started Philippians by looking into the grace of God, and he's going to conclude Philippians in the same way. By the grace of God. And so this morning, it is not so much a Father's Day message. It's not so much a family message. It is an ordinary saints. Listen up. Let us follow the Lord faithfully, regardless of what the world says about our positions, about our roles, about our gender even. 
Let us listen to what the Word of God says about the grace of God for the saints of God. And that is where we are this morning. And so this idea that we focus on is this. As Paul closes his letter, he reminds the saints who they are in Christ and to whom they belong. Who are you in Christ? He's going to say at the end of this morning's message, you are saints. To whom do you belong? Well, we're going to have two answers to that question as we will move our way through these last few verses of the book of Philippians. Let me read them. We'll ask the Lord's blessing on our time in his word. The scripture says this, Greet every saint, in verse 21, Philippians 4, Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Let's pray. Lord, we praise you for these last few words of the Apostle Paul to the church at Philippi and he's, as he's writing a thank you letter to them. Lord, this morning we come to you on a Father's Day morning in which our country has set aside time to recognize this important and distinguished role in our society. And it is an important role to a society that is orderly and designed because it is of your design. So Lord, we praise you for those in our fellowship who are godly men, whether they are fathers in the biological sense or they are men of a good repute, of mentoring quality who are leading others in a fatherly-like way in mentorship. We praise you for them. We praise you for the investment that they make, the sacrifices that they make. Lord, as we know, as we see from our world around us, that there are many times that we look at the example of fathers, and because we men tend to be gruffer, harsher, we know that there has been a lot of hurt and heartache when this role is not done well. So Lord, I pray that today we would understand that we are held to a standard that is very different from the world's standard. We are held to a standard that is not lived out in our own flesh, that is lived through the grace that is given to us through Christ Jesus. And so therefore, we who are believers are ordinary saints following an extraordinary Savior. May this be our testimony, and when we falter and when we fail, we lead by example in our families and in those that we are mentoring, that we are quick to ask for forgiveness, that we are quick to be humble, and that we, like Paul, would take on the mind of Christ. So Lord, whether we are men or whether we are women, I pray that you would cause us to be those who are found faithful to be ordinary saints, that your name would be glorified in all that we say and do this morning. Lord, as we conclude this letter, we praise you for the words that are dripping with the ink of grace as Paul concludes this letter. Lord, we love you and we thank you for the time we can spend here together as a body of believers. It is in Christ's name that we pray these things. Amen. This morning as we turn back to Philippians, we start with ordinary saints. That has been a theme so far as I have expressed in both the introduction and in the prayer that leads us into this moment is Paul is addressing the ordinary saints at Philippi. And he begins in verses 21 and 22. He says this, Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. 
Paul has just listed four groups of ordinary saints. Four groups of individuals or a collective of individuals that Paul has called out to say, there's nothing extraordinary about them, but they greet you, Philippians. And you, Philippians, we want you to greet each other as well. And that is where Paul begins. We're going to work through all of these, all four of these. First, we look at the saints who are in Philippi. Paul says this first, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. Paul begins his farewell address by introducing the first of four groups. The farewell of Paul's is a mostly typical goodbye. Most of Paul's letters end in a very similar way as the book of Philippians, but that does not mean that we can afford to pass by this instruction lightly. We cannot sit back and just read it quickly and say, okay, we're done with the book of Philippians, especially as we have worked through it word by word, And we have desired to understand what the Lord is saying through the Apostle Paul. One author writes this. He says this of Paul's words. He says this is Paul's last word and one of his favorite benedictions. Paul's emphasis is on grace. Grace from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Son of Man. Grace that ennobles and enriches the human spirit as the abode of God's spirit. Paul is signing off with an encouragement to the believers at Philippi in a day and age in which was evil and twisted against them. Do we not need this today? Do we not need this same kind of reminder as Paul is writing to the Philippians to live and to encourage each other by the grace of God? Paul wrote in his letter, to begin with, turn back to chapter 1, he writes these words. Chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, we're going to focus back and forth on this a little bit this morning, but Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and the deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul, specifically, we're going to, as I mentioned, we're going to refer back to verse 1 and 2 of chapter 1 several times this morning, but Paul specifically is writing to the elders, to the overseers at the church of Philippi. So one of the differences, even though this is a very similar a goodbye for Paul as he writes to other places, he does not say, greet one another with a holy kiss. That is a, a normal greeting. In fact, just as common as it is for us to give a hug or to, uh, ha- to shake someone's hands, that is the normal greeting that uh, Paul's world would have introduced themselves with a, a kiss, a holy kiss. So Paul doesn't say, as would have been customary for Paul to say, greet one another with a holy kiss. Why? Because Paul is writing to the elders and to the overseers. And he comes to the end of the book, and he's still telling them, he's instructing them, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. What does Paul mean by this? Paul drops the instruction for a holy kiss because in this context, he is asking for the elders to go person by person to greet each one of them on behalf of Paul. This is a a personal instruction. Instead of greeting one another, Paul is saying, elders and overseers, greet the body of Christ one at a time for me. For me. Tell them what I've told you in this letter. 
Tell them thank you as we studied last week. Show them my gratitude for them. Paul places emphasis on the word every. And it's a fascinating construction because Paul says greet, and if you could put it in bold letters, every saint in Christ Jesus. Greet them all. Paul is asking the elders to verbally and personally greet every member of the church. We're going to watch as Paul really gets into a heart of humility throughout these three ending verses of the letter. Men and women who are ordinary saints follow the example of the Apostle Paul. If you want to live by grace, live through humility. If you want to live out the grace of God that is demonstrated to others, live through humility. Count others as more important. Paul is saying, I want to pay attention to every member of the church, Philippi. I'm chained to a Praetorian guard. So elders and overseers, go greet every member and tell them from me, thank you. Thank you. Paul wished to express his gratitude and his love to each person. He sought that they would understand his constant prayer for them and a sincere appreciation for each one. Now certainly there were those in the church at Philippi that Paul probably didn't get along with, as there are in every church, people who just don't jive together very well, very easily, because we're faulty and we're finite, and so our little idiosyncrasies bother others. And yet Paul doesn't say, I want you to greet all of the important people in Philippi. He doesn't say, I I want you to greet just the elders. And by the way, add Lydia to that as well, because Lydia has financed a significant amount of ministry. He doesn't say, and and add the the centurion, and add the, the slave girl who was released from the demon and came to Christ. He says, greet every saint. Now there's something else that we must see here as well, because Paul identifies those believers in Philippi, as saints. Now, if you came up in a Roman Catholic background or you came up in an Eastern Orthodox background, this may sound a little bit odd, peculiar. What do you mean, saints? Because maybe that means that Paul is being exclusive. Maybe that means that Paul is saying, yeah, greet just the important ones. We may be tempted, as the outside world is, to view those who are super good people as saints. Well, and you may hear it uh, from someone outside. And I was just at a ball game yesterday, and a mom brought a bunch of water. It was hot. We were playing a doubleheader, and she brought a bunch of water. And one of the other moms says off to the side, oh, isn't she such a saint? No, she's actually not. She doesn't know Christ yet. She's not a saint. Paul is clear. We... We don't view those who we establish as saints who are super good Christians who maybe a miracle was done after their death. We say, ah, they are saints now. We do not elevate people who do good things as saints. Both of those views are completely man-made religion. The word for saint means literally separated one. Separated one. It is used not just of those who are super spiritual, 
but of all believers, because each believer has been separated to God as to his own. God's own. When you come to know Christ as Savior, you are set apart. Dads on Father's Day who know Christ as Savior, you are different than fathers who do not know Christ as Savior. You live by God's grace. Men and women who follow the Lord are not of the same as the rest of the world. We are separated ones. It's interesting that we find several words within Christianity. One, we are called out. And two, we are separated. We find different words to say that you and I are not of this world, but we are ambassadors. This, is, this word for saint is one of Paul's favorite words for the Christian. In fact, he uses it far more than he uses other words. In biblical terms, a saint is not a superhero of the faith, but rather anyone who has eternal life in Christ. That's who is a saint. And so Paul says to the elders at Philippi, greet all of the saints, every one of them, from the most mature to the most immature. Greet them all. Paul identifies saints as those who are in Christ Jesus. As believers, listen carefully. And especially given the headlines that we find in our world today for fathers, we find a similar thing that is starting in our world to ratchet up against moms and motherhood as well. And we find the attack on gender and we find all of these issues. But listen carefully, believer. As believers, we are not saints because of perfect performance. You are not a saint because you got everything right. Because everything fell into place or because you're able to maintain that. It's not because of perceived miracles that you have done or will do after your death, because you cannot. It is not because you've reached some form of higher graduated Christian level of maturity. You are a saint because God called you to himself. Isn't that humbling? God called you to himself. You're a saint because God did the work in you. You're a saint because God called you to himself by faith in Christ alone. That is humbling and encouraging. That is what encourages us and infuses us with an understanding of the grace of God that was demonstrated to us as faulty and finite as we are to be those that can demonstrate to others the grace of God as well. Importantly, we should note, and nowhere do we find in any of the pages of Scripture, and specifically we're not here in the book of Philippians, but we are, not to call, we are not called to pray to saints. Paul doesn't say to the Philippian believers, pray to the saints. He doesn't say that. We're not called to burn candles or to venerate any saint. That is simply man-made religion. Saints are not people to be worshipped. Saints are ordinary. You and I, who know Christ as Savior, are ordinary saints. History probably will not record all of us or any of us. And yet, we are saints. Humbly following the Lord. True saints 
are those who refuse to be worshipped and instead worship the true and living God alone. The world wants to worship their idols, and they will turn people into their idols. Man-made religion wants to worship its idols. They will venerate saints and pray to the saints. We don't pray to saints because they will not answer you. And they cannot answer you even if they could. We pray to Christ alone, through Christ to the Father alone. Notice the second group. Those are the saints at Philippi. Those are those believers in the church at Philippi. But notice there's a second group. Paul says this, the brothers who are with me greet you. There are saints who are continuing to work with Paul. Paul's second group of saints are those who are with him. Paul does not use words. I find that fascinating. At the end here, uh, other letters, Paul will use words, uh, or use names rather, that will define who he's speaking of. But in the book of Philippians, he does not include any names, specific names, of those who are saints. Probably because he's chained to a praetorian guard. Paul's under house arrest, and he's writing this letter, somewhat of a veiled letter, because there is great risk, especially to those who are with Paul in Rome. We don't know any of these saints who are working with Paul specifically, but we do know that Paul has already referred to two of them in the book. The first one, going back to chapter 1, notice how he defines the first one, chapter 1, Verse 1, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Remember when we were studying chapter 1, verse 1, we said, Paul and Timothy, in this text, in this place, Paul is equating equality with Timothy. He does not say, I am the apostle Paul, and Timothy is my disciple. He says, Paul and Timothy, servants, doulos, slaves of Christ. We're equal. We're on the same footing. Timothy's a slave, I'm a slave, we're equal. Timothy was probably one of those that Paul is making reference to as he closes the book. Timothy's a saint, and he's greeting the saints at Philippi. Timothy is ordinary. Even though he had extraordinary gifts, Timothy is ordinary. Another was likely Epaphroditus, and we spent considerable time looking into the life of Epaphroditus throughout this letter. And so Epaphroditus was not only the one who carried the gift from Philippi to Paul, but is likely now carrying the letter back to Philippi. There's a, an important observation we need to understand. Timothy and Epaphroditus are uniquely gifted and are tremendous servants of the Lord. However, there's not a single air of superiority about either man. They are not elevated above the other saints. They are not uh, elevated above those at Philippi. They are not elevated above those in Rome. Paul, while referencing their unique giftedness and their tremendous usefulness to the Lord, gives to us no air of superiority. Paul is simply and humbly calling them brethren. Did you catch that? He does not say to the saints at Philippi, and Timothy, the most excellent pastor in training, Epaphroditus, the greatest servant in training. He says, the brothers who are with me greet you. 
The brothers who are with me greet you. Beloved, if we gain nothing else from the send-off to the letter to the Philippians, let us remember this, that Paul is focusing on the humility that is found only in Christ through the grace that is found only in Christ. Let us pattern that. We're not trying to get our names written someplace. We just want to be found faithful. We want to be found faithful. In an age which is not faithful, we want to be found faithful. Paul is simply and humbly calling them brothers. Every man who knows Christ is a brother and every woman who is a a sister. We not only belong to God, but we belong to each other as well. And so, in our introduction question, we'll know who we are and to whom we belong. Paul's first answer to that as he sends off the greeting is, you belong to each other. You are brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. You are to strengthen, encourage, and mold and shape one another towards godliness and holiness. You are to encourage each other in humility and grace. And when we're going through trials, whether that's parenting trials or successes in parenting, or whether that's personal trials or successes, we encourage each other and keep each other humble in a good way to follow after the things of the Lord. Paul could have said, my understudy Timothy, but instead he refers to him as a brother. There is a unifying theme in the church as Paul is writing. Remember that the church at Philippi was divided. In fact, go back to chapter 4, verse 2, and we'll see some of those divisions. It's part of the reason Paul's writing, actually. He's writing to say thank you, but in the thank you, he has two ladies who are divided against each other. He writes this, he says in verse 2, I entreat Judea and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. He says there's divisions among you, and there's two prominent women who are having problems in the church, and we're going to call those ladies out, we're going to call them to agree there's a unity, and when Paul signs off on the letter, he calls those same ladies saints. He doesn't say to the elders, I want you to hug everybody else, I'll leave Judea and Syntyche out until they get their, their stuff together, until they get it all right. Those ladies, no, Paul says greet them. And he says, not only greet them, but pass on uh, Timothy and Epaphroditus and the rest who are with me, greet them in their love and care as well. This is a unifying theme. He says, these who are with me are brothers with you, Philippians. They are, you are brothers and sisters to them, Philippians. The church is unified not because of the same politics or ethnicities or the same generation. The church is unified because of Christ. And that is what Paul is addressing uh, to this church, saying we are not unified because we're all like one another. We are unified because of Christ. And Philippians, the Philippian believers, were not unified because of what they were similar as. You have Lydia, who is upper class, wealthy. You have the slave girl, who is the lowest class. You have the middle class. You have three different ethnicities. And those were just the first three people in the church. Already, Paul's church is 100% different from each other. Paul is not saying that there is divisions because of the ethnic or political lines. saying there's unity because you're brothers and sisters in Christ. So the brothers here with me greet you. 
Thinking back to Philippians chapter 2, we think of the purpose of the church. And what Paul says here, he says this, beginning in verse 1, he says, So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort in love, or from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord with one mind. That's the unity he's just mentioned. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Paul kicks us back. He kicks us back in verses 21 and 22. He kicks us back to Philippians 2. And he says, brothers and sisters have this same mind in Christ as Christ had. Humble yourselves. Make my joy complete. Have no divisions. Have the same purpose, same priority. Not because of your differences, but because of your similarities that are, is in Christ. Not because you're similar in culture, not because you're similar in context, but because you are similar in Christ. Have the same attitude as Christ had. Think of all of the divisions that exist in the church today and existed in Paul's day, and you can find at the head of every single one of those divisions an arrogant, prideful self. And if you think of the divisions that exist in the church today, you probably should be looking at your own heart for those arrogant, prideful, gotta-be-my-way kind of thoughts. Paul says, follow Christ. Have the mind of Christ we think of divisions in the family, we think of successes in the family, we think of those who humbly led or those who pridefully led. Paul says, the brothers who are with me greet you because we're all one. We're all one in the body of Christ. It's unifying. It picks up on the theme that Paul has laid out all through the letter. And Paul now practices it by looking at the third group. These are the ordinary saints in Rome. The Ordinary Saints in Rome. This one is fascinating to me, and it is humbling to me. Paul says this in verse 21, or rather verse 22, he says, All the saints greet you. What he means by all the saints greet you, he's saying in reference, all the saints who are in my area greet you. That is in Rome. This third group, all the saints greet you, is the believers in Rome. And this is an incredibly gracious act because go back to chapter 1 briefly with me. Chapter 1. Paul speaks of these saints. He speaks of them in Rome. He says this in verse 15. Actually, let's back up to uh, verse 14. And he says this, uh, having just spoken that he's... under imperial guard, that is the Praetorian guard, says this, verse 14, And most of the brothers have become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, but much more bold to speak a word without fear. And he's specifically thinking of the Philippians. You've become much more bold. Others have become bold in Rome. He says this, though, verse 15, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me with my imprisonment or in my imprisonment. Those are the saints at Rome. 
That last verse that I just read, those are the saints at Rome. Let's say you're writing a thank you note. And in the thank you note, you've written some personal notations as well. And at the end, you say, yeah, all of those who have caused me grief in Rome, they send their greetings to you as well. That's what Paul just did. He says, all of those who have caused me grief, who have tried to inflict me during my imprisonment, they've tried to cause greater harm to me while I've been in prison, yeah, they greet you too, Philippians. And he doesn't say it in a sarcastic way. He says it with sincerity. He says, the believers who are here in Rome, yes, they're preaching Christ. Yes, they don't like me. Yes, they're doing it out of selfish ambition and empty conceit. But the gospel is still going forward. So I celebrate in that. And despite their problems, they greet you, Philippian believers, as well. Think of the gracious act that that is. How many of us would say, yeah, I'm signing off. I'm just going to forget the Romans. These Roman believers, they're a mess. How many of us may even, instead of just forgetting to add them, say, yeah, don't be like the Romans. Send me another card. Don't be like the Romans. They, they don't like me very much. Don't be like the Romans. They're glorying in my struggles. Paul could have left them out as the Romans had forgotten Paul. The believers in Rome had forgotten Paul. They were right there. You do not see, and there's no course throughout any of the prison epistles that Paul writes, there's no evidence that any Roman believers came to visit Paul under house arrest. There's no evidence of any Roman believers taking up a collection for Paul and giving it to Paul, like we have in the Philippian church who took up a collection and gave it to Paul. And yet, Paul speaks of these believers in Rome with grace. They didn't even check on him. But despite this, Paul does not say, they did not care for me. So they probably don't care for you, Philippians. Instead, Paul built bridges. Paul built bridges. And he built bridges with people who did not like Paul. But Paul knew, most likely Paul knew, that this letter to the Philippians would begin to uh, cycle around as other letters that Paul had written had begun to cycle around and he knew eventually it would come back to Rome and even though the Roman church had ignored Paul had cast Paul aside and even afflicted upon him greater harm he knew that this Roman church would need to see the graciousness of God demonstrated in Paul and he provides it Paul with the best intentions and motive motivations builds a bridge he builds a bridge for the Roman believers who have ignored him, cast him aside, and afflicted upon him greater harm. Beloved men and women who know Christ, is that your testimony? Do you demonstrate grace like that? Or are you just looking for the opportunity to turn the screws into that person who has caused you harm? Paul doesn't. While he's chained to a praetorian guard, while those who surround him are not from Rome, even though he's in Rome. Paul doesn't name any of them. He's been very gracious, very kind. Let that be our testimony. The fourth group, this is an astounding group, and Paul narrows the third group, he narrows them down to a specific group. He says, all the saints, that is, all the saints in Rome greet you, 
especially those of Caesar's household. There is a group within a group. This group is those who have been found in Nero's house. This final group of believers are those who are not of Nero's biological line, but who are in the palace. These are the cooks, the servants, the painters, the electricians. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know who they all were, but they were in Caesar's house. They were in the palace. It's likely that even the praetorian guard that is chained, or at least some of them that were chained to Paul, were among those numbers that Paul says, greet you, believers at Philippi. No names are given. And, and that's fascinating to me, because I would be tempted to name names in the last group and name names in this group. In group number three, I want to name names. Who are those who are faithful, and who are those who are not faithful? In the group four, I want to name names who are faithful, but Paul does not. Paul does not. And there's an obvious reason for this. He's writing it with a Praetorian guard chained to him. He's writing with one of Nero's household literally inches from his hand. So Paul is writing in a veiled statement. However, and it is significant for you and I to understand this, the Galilean carpenter, who is the savior of the world, had begun to rule in Nero's house through Nero's closest allies. Nero is the emperor who would later on burn, most likely he's attributed to a burned Rome and because he received so much grief from the people of Rome, he would begin to persecute Christians, putting them on stakes and lighting his gardens with the bodies of burning Christians. And yet in his household, there were Christians who knew the Lord, who loved the Lord, who came to know Christ likely because of Paul's ministry chain to a Praetorian guard, and it may have been a Praetorian guard who was sharing the gospel to the rest of the household of Nero. The number of these saints, we have no idea. They were probably the first to be persecuted. We don't know who they are, but Paul says that they were ordinary saints. Faithful men and women who love the Lord. And so Paul now closes with one of his favorite benedictions. His favorite benedictions. He says this, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Everything in this letter ties back to grace. Therefore, everything in this letter ties back to Christ. Paul refers to the Lord 40 times in the four chapters we've studied together in the book of Philippians. Forty times. By various titles, but the same person, 40 times. Everything comes full circle. Paul begins the letter, as we saw back in chapter 1, verse 1, or rather verse 2. He says this, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He starts there. Grace. And he ends, grace. Grace. 
And it's not just any kind of grace. It's not just the grace that is demonstrated when somebody has wronged you and you don't uh, turn it back on them. Instead, you give them what they do not deserve. You give them uh, kindness in place of their gruffness. That's not that kind of grace, although that is what grace means. Notice what Paul does. He defines it as the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not your grace. It's not Paul's grace. It's not the grace of just kind of getting along in some kind of a social club. It's the grace of God demonstrated to you. God's grace. Paul begins the letter by wishing the Philippians grace, and he now closes with the same thought, and we end with that same emphasis on grace. Same emphasis on grace. As Paul writes his letter, his quill is dripping in the ink of grace. Grace is, as I gave you a moment ago, the definition of it is receiving what you do not deserve. Paul closes and he says, Saints at Philippi, saints who are with me in Rome, who are brothers serving alongside me, saints who are in Rome, saints who are in Caesar's household, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Everything that Paul has instructed, and there has been much that we have gleaned from the pages of this letter. Everything that Paul has encouraged us to do, everything that he has implored us to do, everything he has commanded us to do is done solely by the grace of God. You cannot do it without it. And so this morning, as Paul signs off, he's reminding all believers throughout the church age of the encouragement that he has left throughout the book. While you are called to a high calling, fathers, while you are called to a high calling, moms, while you are called to a high calling, all saints, ordinary saints and extraordinary, you are called to a high calling. While you are called there, you are not going to do it on your own. You cannot. But through the grace of God, that which you did not deserve given to you, through the grace of God, you will. And we are called to obedience. Paul signs off his letter, reminding all believers throughout all the age of the church age of our encouragement in Christ because of the grace of God. Where does our hope come from when we read articles like I started with this morning? We see society beginning to crumble, the family unit beginning to crumble. We see the challenges that come to fatherhood, to motherhood, to Christian living. Where does encouragement come in a wicked and evil day? Paul is writing to an audience that soon will be hung on the spikes to light Nero's gardens. You think, we have it tough. Paul is going... Philippians and Roman believers alike will be persecuted immensely. What was their encouragement? They're not going to find it in the world. They're not going to find it in news articles. They're not going to find it in politics. They're not going to find it in any social constructs or social clubs. They're going to find it by the grace of God, in the grace of God. On this Father's Day, we see a biblically gracious man signing off his thank you letter. 
men, this is my challenge to you. This is a man that we see in Paul who is a man of the Lord who loves the Lord. There's been throughout history you know, the men of stature, the men that other men wanted to be like. Maybe you have that man, that image that you have as a man, you think of this was the man I wanted to be. I wanted to be like this actor. I wanted to be like this individual. I wanted to be that rugged individual or that whatever, fill in the gap, whatever man that you look to as that pattern. I think of my grandfather. He had a picture in his cabin. We'd go to the cabin every summer. He was a teacher and uh, he would spend all summer in the mountains in Colorado. We'd go to his cabin. We'd walk into his cabin and there was a, a beaver pelt on one wall. And my grandma helped decorate this too, so it's not all him. But uh, there's a beaver pelt on one wall. There was an Indian rug on the other wall, and there was a picture of John Wayne by his chair. And I remember he had a hat just like John Wayne's. And someone had gone to California and taken a picture of the Star Hall of, or the Walk of Fame, whatever that is, in Hollywood, and, and they had put his boot, my grandfather's boot, in John Wayne's boot prints in the sidewalk. And that picture was in the corner a picture of John Wayne, Grandpa's boot in his boot. Whatever that image is, men, let us make sure that Paul's example is one of them. Let us make sure that Paul's example of a gracious man, when you better believe that Paul could rip anybody apart with his quill, if anybody could write Words that would cut to the quick, it was Paul. Paul is a gracious man at this point. He is a man who is a man of the Lord, who loves the Lord, and loves the people of the Lord. He has left us with answers to these questions. Who are we? We are saints. Separated unto God by His undeserving grace. Who do we belong we belong to the family of God. Together we are bound in unity by our union with Christ Jesus. And so therefore we belong to Him as well. What do we have? We have a lavish outpouring of God's grace, enough to meet every need and enough to equip us to face every day until the day that we see Christ face to face. There is a coming day when the extravagance of His grace will begin to be unveiled in spectacular dimensions. And we cannot even imagine those dimensions. He will never, that is, God will never cease to amaze us. His grace will forever define us for who we are and where we are will forever be because of His grace. Beloved, ordinary saints, let us follow the example of Paul and be people of the Lord who love the Lord and love the people, the other people of the Lord as ordinary saints, as Paul has encouraged and instructed and taught us, as he's called us to have the same mind as Christ, 
May that be our testimony. Let's close in a word of prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, on this Father's Day, we have taken time to thank our fathers with even just a small token of our appreciation. We've recognized the men in our church who are men indeed. Lord, we know that society has long ago written off men as a necessary but evil component to society. Lord, I praise you that in this fellowship we have men who will stand firm on the truth of the Word of God. That you have given to this body men who will stand firm in the storm. Pray that as they teach, instruct, and mold others within their families, within their homes, but within the church family as well, we pray that you would give them strength, give them wisdom to lead well. Lord, we are those who are so needy before you. But as we lift these men before you, as we lift all believers who are saints to follow after the example and the instruction that the Apostle Paul has given, may we do so with a boldness that demonstrates a grace that has been given to us unlike anything that the world knows. And may we then therefore be those dispensaries of that same grace, sharing of the great love of Christ, which would lead to the sacrifice of his own death, resurrection on the cross. Lord, if there's any among us that do not know you as Savior, that they would have a clarity and understanding that they are not listed among the saints, that the grace that Paul has mentioned is not theirs, that it is not something that they can live in light of and in encouragement of. Pray that even in this example, in this sign-off of the letter to Philippians, that they would understand what it means to come to know Christ as Savior. Lord, now we ask that as we depart from here and we spend the rest of the day enjoying our families and fellowshipping together, that we would do so in remembrance of the great work that you have provided for us in the structure of the family, in the design of the family, but also in the great opportunity we have to love one another in the body of Christ as fellow brothers and sisters, encouraging one another towards purity, holiness, righteousness before you that your name would be glorified, that we would live with great anticipation to Christ's soon and imminent return. Lord, we love you. We praise you for these things, and we respond to them now in song. Pray that we would do so in that same purity that was just mentioned for your glory and for our good. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.